Thank you, Karen. Good morning, Bridge family. Um, I'm going to be reading to you from uh, John 15, verses 1 to 8. But what we're going to do is we're going to read it twice. And uh, between the first and second reading, we're going to take a pause of about 30 seconds. This is a very personal opportunity for you to just take a look at the scripture that's been read. You can see it and hear it. And uh, that pause is an opportunity to just between you and your creator to take a look at the words um, as they, the way in which they reach your heart, very personal way. Um, the verses that stand there, the, uh, yeah, the verses, the, the words that stand out to you and impact you this morning, um, something for you. And that 30 second pause between, I'll read again, of course, and then some comments at the end. Feel free to chat um, in the midst of all that. Um, set things down with paper and pen, so to speak, uh, through the, uh, the computer screen. And we'll look forward to that as well. But uh, you're involved in this process because uh, we're reading this together. John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As I read through this uh, in, in preparation for reading this morning, 
I realized that that we instinctively understand it. Uh, the pruning, we, we, we know what that means. We know what it means to be pruned in our lives in a sense. Yet the pruning that God does is very personal. Um, not always understood by others for what it is for other people. That's a, the, the other piece. But it'd be great if I could find 25 people to prune my branches in every area of my life. I feel. It'd be pretty tough to find those people. But I also realize that by abiding in Christ, he does the pruning. He gets us. He prunes us because we are his beloved. Different people have different pruning going on, of course. <laughs> That's between them and God. So in reading this, I find that um, you and I need to be accepting about where everybody is in the journey or the pruning that's going on. Regardless of whatever pruning people are going through, as long as I abide in Christ, I can learn to see them the way he does. That's his beloved. May God have his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you, Mark. That was cool. Uh, okay, so happy birthday, everybody. This is, we are 15 today. Um, wouldn't it be great to be actually 15 today? That would be, be awesome. But anyway, we are 15 today as a church. So happy birthday to us. Um, the bridge looks really different than it did 15 years ago. <laughs> I mean, if we're meeting on Zoom, so I mean, this is not normal anyway, but um, if we were in a building, we would look very different to how we did 15 years ago. And there are a few people here who were there that first Sunday. <laughs> uh, but, but we have changed and mutated over the years. Um, and I want to just take us back and tell a little bit of where we came from, because it's our birthday. And that's the kind of thing that you do on a birthday, is you kind of tell the story of where you came from and who you are. And um, just remind us. So I just wanted to remind us of who we are. If I count back through the different permutations, the ways the bridge has looked over these years, how we've changed and grown and shrunk and grown and <laughs> mutated and evolved and um, changed. I think we're on bridge kind of version 10.0. <laughs> like I think I can count 10 different versions to here. Um, and uh, back at the beginning, church bridge 1.0, we looked a lot different. Uh, we came from the Abbey Vineyard um, and we walked away in April 2006. Uh, and we invited everyone at that time who wanted to join us to join us. Um, and so that first weekend in May, we had at the Ramada Inn, as it was called, and it too has gone through a couple of mutations <laughs> over time and is now called something different. But uh, it was the Ramada at the time. And we met in the central uh, room of their banquet halls because we, like, we had no idea who was gonna come. Um, so we, we booked that middle room with the potential to open the walls and spread if we needed to, uh, which was a good thing. Um, because uh, that Sunday we had 550 people. And um, I, uh, I remember standing in the middle of the room and going, oh, Jesus, what have we got ourselves into? This is a crowd. What are we going to do with all these people? Um, this was a, uh, this was not a church plant, mm -hmm. you know, like church mm -hmm. plants, there's, a, you know, you're a couple, then you grab another couple and then you grab a few more people and you build structures and you organize things. And we weren't that we were a church plop. And, uh, this was like 550 people and go, and it was terrifying. Um, and, uh, 
there were many things that we could have done better. And looking back, I, there are many things I wish we'd done better in that leaving process. But um, I just remember being overwhelmed walking through that room. And there are times actually right now that I look around and I see all of you guys and I still feel a little bit like, mm. oh, Jesus, what are we doing? But I love what he is doing. And I love what he's doing through all of us. And that is cool. Um, so walking through this room, I was like, what are we going to do with all these people? Where are we going to meet? Because this was, this was the week before Mother's Day, like it is this week. And uh, the Ramada was booked for this big banquet, Mother's Day banquet. And so we couldn't have the Ramada. So we were like homeless immediately with 550 people. Uh, we quickly found the Matsby Hall um, and, uh, and we did that. Okay, now, while, uh, while we had that first meeting, we handed out cards and pieces of paper to everybody. Mm. And we asked them to write on it what they could do and what gifts they brought with them because we realized we needed to build a team like now. Um, and I want to do the same thing with us as we are now, bridge 10.0 heading into 11. I think we're like 10.0.5 right now heading into 11. But um, uh, I want to do the right thing. I'll, if we were together, I would pass out cards and pens and say, please write on it what you can do and what it is that you bring. What gifts is it that you hold in your hands that you bring to the body? Um, the way we do that in Zoom is we have chat. So drop it in, um, drop it into chat. What is it that you do? What gifts can you bring with you? And while you're writing that, I'll tell you what happened. So the next week, like I said, was Mother's Day. Ramada wasn't available to us. We found the Matthew Hall to meet at, and we cleaned out years of filth. It was gross. There were flies. Like, I think they've been gathering there for years and dying there for mm -hmm. years. It was grim. Uh, on Sunday, we asked parents who were bringing children to bring a toy they could leave behind because we had nothing. Um, and uh, I just remember on Sunday morning opening the door to that room and it still smelled of bleach. Uh, the bigger kids met on the grass outside because we didn't have a room for them. Um, it was bonkers. But the beauty of it was that everyone who wanted to do something was given something to do. And since then we have, we have tidied up our kids recruiting plan. We now back check people. We, uh, we please check them and we, um, we reference check them from others, personal references. But I hope the message for everything else is still the same. Whatever you can do, your gift is welcome. Whoever you are and uh, whatever you bring, we can put you to work. We have, we have a place for you. We have room for you. Um, and uh, so everybody, write down what you can do, what you bring, and let's do it. Like Lynn, she spoke last week. Right. We had no idea, but we asked who wants to have a go. And she was awesome. All right, so who wants, who wants to give it a try? If you want to do something, put it in. Let's, let's hear about it. This whole idea of bring what you bring and be who you are and use what you can do has been in me since the first church I attended when I was 18. I showed up early because it was a choice of, the, I was on a bus and it was either get there early or get there late. So I got there early. I was standing around, hanging about and the coffee team was short of a person. And they said, could you pour coffee? And I'm like, but I'm just visiting. Like, this is my first time here. And they're like, I don't care. Can you pour coffee? Uh, yeah, well then you're in. And if you are served, you are welcome. If you are serving, you belong. So we want you to belong here. So just hop in. Um, to serve makes you welcome, to bring your gifts and all you are and get stuck in with what you bring, that means you belong.
So I want that for us as Church 10.0, just like we wanted it at Church Bridge 1.0. And as we transition at some point, please God, into version 11.0, and we're in a hybrid Zoom live mm. situation, then uh, we're going to need you. So now we're 15. Everybody's old enough to serve. Everybody's old enough to, to work and get a job. So hop in. Just bring what you have, whoever you are, whatever you can do, and we can do this together. And of course, let's eat cake. So if you have cake, now is the time. We have cake, and I am going to blow out a candle because it's our birthday. So mm. happy birthday to us. Let's not sing because Zoom is miserable <laughs> singing. But on. happy birthday. <laughs> Um, happy birthday, everybody. Well done. We made it to 15. Uh, so, but more than that, the reason that we're here is Jesus. And we share his table together, not just cake, but bread and juice. And Steve is going to lead us. It seems to be we're just passing along the sofa today. But Steve is going to lead us in communion. I'm kind of wondering what happens when we go past me because I'm going to fall into his face. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. That's... That's awesome. I think there's something really important about story, uh, about sort of remembering who we are, where we came from, and how we came to be where we are. Um, maybe uh, you know, telling the story of our journey is, is important. It's part of our identity. It's part of who God called us to be as a community. Um, so this is another kind of uh, type of, of remembrance. Um, I just thought, you know, as we were coming together as a family to the communion table, what does that actually mean? So I just had a couple of thoughts, um, and then we'll, we've got a couple of prayers from um, the Anglican communion service that we, can, that we can do together. So when we come together to celebrate communion, we're setting a table for a meal for which we are all welcome. And you, all of you are very welcome here at our table today. In the early church, it was more of an actual communal meal that they met together for, and this is our Zoom version. It's an act of remembrance that Jesus asked us to perform and began with the Last Supper, interestingly, which also included Judas, who was about to betray him. Mm. Communion is one of the sacraments of the church, and it's something concrete that we can do together mm. uh, to remember the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, and all that happened as a result. We often need something tangible as human beings to help us access and understand the mysterious. And this is one example of those things. So as we share this meal together, we can also have an encounter with the risen Christ through receiving the bread and wine, which are symbols of his body and blood. And we can be changed through this relationship. Now, there's been much debate over the centuries about what actually happens when we celebrate communion together and exactly what the bread and wine become and how this works. I'm pretty sure we'll never fully understand and I've got a, a good sense that we don't need to. However, it represents an opportunity for us to remember the radical co-suffering love of Jesus, but all on the cross and also that somehow the world was and the universe was changed and restored as a result. If that's not a big enough thought for you. Yeah. <laughs> so let us go together to the foot of the cross this morning trusting that we are all welcome to take part in this feast, in this feast through divine love. So here's a prayer from the Anglican Communion Service. Um, again, something 
some liturgy which helps us to access the mysterious. So I'm going to read this prayer, and when I get to the Amen bit, we're going to and we'll take the um, the bread and the wine separately together. Hear us, merciful Father, we humbly pray, and grant that we receive this gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ, holy institution, in remembrance of his death and passion, and may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood, who in the same night that he was betrayed took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many. Do this for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. So we take the, the bread. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given to you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. And so likewise with, with the wine, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we shed for you, preserve your body and soul to everlasting life. So let's just pause for a couple of seconds just to, to stick with that, with Jesus, encounter the risen Christ. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and you brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope that you've set before us, so that we and all your children can be free. And the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So there's profound mystery in all of that. Um, I love the fact that I can't understand. But I love the fact that Jesus welcomes us anyway. And so, uh, Eden, we just, as we uh, hand over to you, just uh, want to uh, just lift you this morning. I would just pray for Eden and for all that she's prepared and for all that you've spoken to her uh, heart this week. Um, and Lord, I, I just pray uh, just for a real sense of your presence with her as she speaks. And thank you for all that she is, mm -hmm. all that you've made her to be. Yeah. 
all that's brought her to this point on the journey and all that there is to come. Father, thank you for your provision of her leadership for us in this season. And uh, Lord, we just um, look forward to what you've given to her heart to share with us today. In your precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. That was awesome. I love how um, we're able to manage drawing from the breadth of um, the church, not just some narrow little um, version of the church, but that we regularly are drawing on the breadth. And I think that makes... Um, I think that makes a Sunday morning much richer. So thanks for sharing that this morning, Steve. So Mark read from um, the gospel passage for this morning, but I'm actually gonna preach from the epistle, which dovetails nicely, not because it's using the same imagery, but because we know that the vine that we are to abide in or remain in is Christ. And in 1 John 4, um, we're talking about the love of God, which is also a place that we're meant to remain or abide. So I'm going to read the passage. I think it's going to be up on your screens to, um, to follow along. Dear friends, let us love one another because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has become a child of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Here's how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. He sent him so we could receive life through him. Here is what love is. It is not that we loved God. It is that he loved us and sent his son to give his life to pay for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us this much, we should also love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. His love is made complete in us. Here's how we know that we are joined to him and he to us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. The Father has sent a son to be the savior of the world. We have seen it and are witnesses to it. God lives in anyone who agrees that Jesus is the son of God. This kind of person remains joined to God. So we know that God loves us. We depend on it. God is love. Anyone who needs a life of love is joined to God, and God is joined to them. Suppose love is fulfilled among us. Then we can be without fear on the day God judges the world. Love is fulfilled among us when in this world we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives away fear. That's because fear has to do with being punished. The one who fears does not have perfect love. 
We love because he first loved us. Suppose someone claims to love God but hates a brother or sister. Then they are a liar. They don't love their brother or sister whom they have seen. So they can't love God whom they haven't seen. Here is the command God has given us. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And I just have to pull up my notes. If I learned anything worth anything from Bible college, it's this, that we are meant to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes and that Jesus is always the point. This morning's passage makes my job pretty easy then, although writing a sermon is still always a labor of love. We are gonna settle into 1 John 4, which I just read, and you'll soon see what the point is and how easy it is to emphasize. Uh, I remember being, or finding out that I was pregnant with our first child more than 31 years ago. Immediately, something started shifting within and besides the biological and the hormonal changes happening in my body, something else started to change in my heart. This fierce love started to rise within I felt this strong need to do everything I could to make this new life within me thrive. I did things for this new person that I hadn't been doing for myself. I gave up things that I enjoyed, but that would put my unborn baby in jeopardy. And that happened again with our two other children. I felt this deep love for them before I knew them. There was this willingness in me to put their needs ahead of mine, to put their comfort ahead of mine, and to suffer for their sake. My unborn babies did not come with a guarantee, maybe yours did, but mine did not come with a guarantee that they would be good little children, or that they would somehow fulfill me with their love for me. Nor was there any certainty that they would grow up to be successful in their lives. And yet, while they were still within, before I knew them, I loved them deeply, sacrificially, and didn't even consider the pain and discomfort I felt for those months as something I needed to forgive them for. John is describing that same sort of love in 1 John 4. And even though we have a limited capacity to love well as humans. We are going to get a sense of God's love and how it works. This passage clearly focus, focuses and defines agape love. Agape is specifically the self-giving love that comes from God. It's used 28 times in 15 verses. It's really easy to get the point from this passage. Starting in verse 10, John defines what love is and what it isn't. Initially, he establishes that this love does not have its origins 
in us. We did not initiate love. Humans didn't invent love. We were created to respond to love. This agape love has its genesis in God. Love has its source in God. And this love was demonstrated most perfectly when Jesus Christ willingly atoned, sacrificially loved us in order to save us. Oh, and that last statement might make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Because some of us may have deconstructed enough to have come to the, to the conclusion that we don't need saving and maybe sin isn't even a thing anymore. I'll push back on that a bit and propose that you may have been taught that you are sinful in nature and that at birth you were separated from God because of your sinful nature. But I can assure you, we have never been separated from God or love because God loved us first. That means that there is nothing that we have done, good or bad, that has changed God's orientation of love toward us. We all need saving. This world has given us all a good kick along the way. And we need to feel loved in our pain and be able to love even when we hurt. Love is what draws us in from the fringes of our shadow sides, the versions of ourselves that are less than our true self. Love is what picks us up when we've fallen down, dusts us off, bandages our wounds, and walks beside us in our healing. Love is our salvation. Jesus is love personified and his sacrificial love on our behalf is our invitation to respond to that love. When we accept and engage with that love that God offers, John suggests there are several ways that it manifests and affects our lives. When we feel that love from God, when we recognize the dynamic love of God and associate with it, allowing it to flood our hearts and souls, it not only fills us, but it spills out of us too. We sense God's love and in that we sense we belong as children to God. The filling up and the spilling out and that anchoring sense of belonging provides us with the ability and gifting to reach out to each other in that same spirit of love. The love we are drawn to is the self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love of God. Therefore, when John calls us to love one another, that is exactly the kind of love we are being asked to demonstrate. That specific love is how God lives in us. God is love. And when we demonstrate the love we have received 
and have extended ourselves to others in that same spirit of love, then we can know that God lives in us. God's love is made complete in us. And this is how we can know that we are united with God. If you live a life of love, you are joined to God and God is joined to you. Love is the glue in the fabric of our relationship with God. You sense his love, you move in that love, you extend that love to others, and the connection to God intensifies. And when you are solidly settled in that love, comfortable in your belonging, and freely sharing that love with others, you will also be free to fear. Because this kind of love leaves no space for fear. It actually drives it out. When did we start using love as a four letter word? Oh, you don't think that's happening? <laughs> Have you ever heard a conversation that goes something like this? Of course we love them and God loves them too. It's just that God loves them so much that he can't bear to leave them as is. That is diminishing the glorious work of God's love to a four-letter word. Either we enter into the form of love that is laid out here in this passage, self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love, or quite frankly, we are not reflecting the love that God initiated in us. Dan White Jr., who is uh, an author, posted this Twitter. He did a straw poll on a book tour in 2019 that covered 13 cities and the straw poll uh, covered 829 individuals. 76% of those who identified as progressive Christians saw loving your enemy as complicity with injustice. To say it another way, if you have to love your enemy, you're letting them get away with something. On the other hand, in the same straw poll, 78% of those who identified as conservative Christians saw loving your enemy as a compromise with immorality. To say that another way, if you love the immoral, and clearly it will be you choosing what that immorality is, you are joining them in that immorality, if you love them. Do you think we have a problem? That means that not even 25% of either conservative or progressive of Christians are following Jesus because he told us to love our enemies. The road that is narrow is not about those who get saved and are in. The narrow road is about how we love. Jesus is the gate and he does not need us to be his bouncers. 
we have an entire generations of people who are tossing their faith away as if it had absolutely no value. They're walking out of the door of the church by the thousands. When the only thing that is worth holding on to is God's love and that demonstrated in Jesus. Why would we take that away? The last and most precious piece of our faith. But at the same time, we have people knocking at the door, asking to come in, asking to be valued, asking to be loved and included as children of God. And we feel like we have all the time in the world to consider whether we want to open the door for them. Let's remember, God loved us first. I fully understand that being in a relationship with God transforms us and should. We become far more than we were without that relationship to God. However, how and what that transformation looks like in others is not our business. I'm not afraid of having people in a community that are still in a state of transformation. In fact, I hope everyone in this community is still in a state of transformation. However, I am afraid of creating a structure that tries to manage people's transformations. I'm unwilling to engage in a man-made form of trans transformation, but entirely trust that God may have designs that bring a kind of wholeness to each of us that addresses our very particular needs. Our understanding of another person is not the criteria that we are to use to measure the love that we will offer them. We're not meant to have an entry level love that when we see reasonable response and allegiance to our beliefs, well then we can upgrade that love. That is not how this passage explains God's love. He loved us first. God offered that love without caveats. I don't believe that God loves me more than you or my neighbor who doesn't have much understanding of the love that God has for him or my enemies, whoever they may be. I do understand that when we respond to God's love, that we begin to feel the security of being a child of God. And that does make a difference, but not because God loves us more. The church has historically been in the habit of setting hurdles, hoops, and obstacles for those who want access. If you want to belong, please, by all means, have a seat and stay right where you are until we determine that you have changed enough to qualify for membership. That is not the role of the church. The role of the church is meant to be a safe harbor for all who seek refuge. Not once they've arrived at some predetermined moral understanding. 
because he first loved us way before the hoops and the hurdles. In Christian circles, we've come to see it as the love God has for us, unfailing love for us, and the love that lays its life down for us. But what if we traumatically, dramatically <laughs> narrow the term to apply only to its greatest expression? According to Jesus, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. John 15, 13. To emulate such love is the highest form of agape. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's just the chapter before um, the passage we're doing now in 1 John 3. I suppose I'd want to ask the Christian-only agape people if they have actually done that. When did they do that? How did they do that? doesn't always end in the actual death of the one who loves. Paul describes this Christ-like love as putting others' interests ahead of your own. In either case, I could offer an abundance of examples of non-Christian people who sacrificially serve the needs of others and have even given their lives, lives to save a brother or a sister or a neighbor or a stranger. First responders are an incredible example of agape because agape is far more than an affectionate feeling one holds for those to, dear to them. It is any self-giving act that emulates the savior. Finally, the logic of John concerning love is precisely aimed at the insider's club mentality. He starts with love in action. He observes love in practice and makes that his criteria for knowing God, not vice versa. He doesn't say, if you're a Christian, your love is real. If you're not a Christian, your love is second rate. Rather, he says to Christians, if you love, you know God. If you don't love, you don't know God. To claim otherwise is fraudulent. He then goes on to lay out this logic, always starting with God's love first. We love because God loved us first. We know this because God showed us this love in Jesus. If we love, we are born of God because God is love. If we love, we know God because God is love. If we love, God lives in us because God is love. If we love, God's love is made complete in us because God is love. If we love, God's love drives out our fear because God is love. The fact is that a life lived in love 
messes with our categories, assumptions, and presumptions about who is in and who is out. And that's exactly what John is up to in 1 John 4. What is a Christian? Someone who claims to be? Someone who uses his name a whole lot? Someone who assents to the right creed or joins the right movement? Not for John. For John, the children of God are those who love, those whose lives look like the self-giving love of God seen in Jesus. How do we know who has passed from life, uh, from death into eternal life? We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death, 1 John 3. So John's exhortation is not to believe right so you'll love right, but to love God as he first loved us by loving each other, not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I want to share one more story. This happened uh, back in um, probably mid or about 2008, something like that. A couple in our, in the, in the church at the time, not this church, um, had been clean and sober for more than a decade, each of them. And he fell off the wagon and he fell off really, really hard. He made a very, very big mess and hurt a lot of people, including his family and kids. He, um, when he crawled out of the hole that he had made, um, he would sometimes come to church on a Sunday morning. He was usually, at the very least, severely hungover and sometimes still drunk. But he knew that if he came on a Sunday morning, he would not be turned away. So this particular Sunday morning, he showed up and he looked really rough. He came and he sat, we were in a theater and he sat in the back row of the front section, the same row I was sitting in with my kids. And uh, he sat down and he kind of was slouching and he looked pretty sad. And then he looked up and three or four rows ahead of him was a man who had shown love to him. This man was probably the most affluent man in our church, but he was going through a very tough financial uh, situation and he was pretty devastated by it. Our friend who was still hung over in the back row of the front section started to stand up. I saw him and I wondered where he was gonna go. And then I saw him lift his leg and step over the bench, the, the seats in front of him. And it took some effort in his state. And then another 
row he stepped over and another row. And he stopped when he got to his friend who had shown him love. And he sat down beside him and in all his pitiful self. And he put his arm around this man and he just sat there in co-suffering love with him. He didn't come all shiny and sober. But that doesn't matter. Agape love is an active, self-giving love, and it can come in any form. It does not require us to be right with the Lord. It does not require us to be set our, to set ourselves aside. It does require us to set ourselves aside for the sake of another, no matter how messy or broken or together we think we may be. While we celebrate the 15th anniversary of this fellowship and appreciate that it's a very loving community, let us look forward to how this love can be demonstrated in even more ways. I'll leave you with this. Consider in your own life how you are demonstrating agape. How are you setting your own thoughts and feelings, opinions and wishes aside for the sake of another? How have you raised up the needs of another ahead of your own? How have you extended a sense of belonging and inclusion to your neighbor? Where have you sacrificially removed the barriers that have been erected by the church to keep some from entering in? Where have you chosen to meet needs instead of pointing out faults? As we enter into a new year as a community, let's endeavor to take that narrow path where we participate and demonstrate self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering love together as a faith community. Let's pray. You loved us first. We did not warrant your love. And yet, you have heaped it upon us. Lord, fulfill your love within us so that we might love as you do. Amen.